0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where it's our desire to help you find and follow Jesus. Our message today is from our current teaching series called Strangers and Pilgrims, uh, where we're going through the book of First Peter and just pulling out truth from the passages and seeing how they can apply in our lives today. We hope that the message is an encouragement to you and a blessing and just really something to aid you in your walk with God. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 today, as we complete, I promise, (laughs) we will complete the book of 1 Peter this morning. I know I kind of faked you out last week, but we are going to finish it today. And uh, I'm excited to share with you what God has taught me this week from this passage. I want to begin, though, by asking you a question today. I want to ask you, is there anything in your life, if you just think about it for a moment, is there anything in your life that is at the same time a blessing but also a challenge? Think about that for a moment. Is there anything like that in your life? Now, yesterday was one of those days for me. And I'll tell you why it was one of my days, those days for me. is because it was my little brother's wedding yesterday, Man, what a blessing to get that guy married. I just gotta say, like you have no idea how much of a blessing it was to those of us of our family. And I'm thankful to have some family members here this morning, my older brother and my aunt, which is pretty awesome to have them here. And, uh, and so it's great. As a family, we prayed for this day, you know, for this woman we have prayed and that she came along and, and God is just, man, there's, there, she's awesome, just really awesome. She's definitely an improvement to our family. Um, but man, it's, it's tough, you know, like it was, it was a great day. Like we're excited for him, but at the same time, I found myself getting all emotional because my little brother's getting married, you know, and I was a little bit emotional. So it was, it was a blessing, but it was also a challenge. Those of us that have children, we understand that parenting is a great blessing, but it's also a great challenge. Those of you that are about to have your first kid, it is a blessing. What an honor it is to have children, but it's also a challenge. It's very difficult. For me as a pastor, probably one of the greatest uh, blessings of my life as a pastor is that uh, I'm able to be a part of your lives when you are going through difficulty. For me, it's, a, it's an honor and it's a blessing when I get a phone call or I get a text and it says, Pastor, I'm going through this difficulty. I'm having this hard time. Uh, can I call you? Can we meet up? Can we talk? Can we get together? And that is a such, it's such a blessing and an honor to me as your pastor to be able to walk with you uh, through seasons like that. But at the same time, it's a great challenge for me because especially when you're going through a difficult season, to be honest with you, sometimes I struggle with to know what to say. I struggle with, man, what what am I going to say to this person? How can I help this person as they're going through a very deep and a dark season? How can I give comfort? How can I give hope? So simultaneously for me, being a pastor is a huge blessing, but it's also a great challenge. And so there's many different areas of life that I think we can apply into this. And and you understand what it's like to be uh, the person that someone calls when they're going through a time of difficulty. When your friend says, hey, I just need to talk. I just need somebody right now to, to spend some time with me. And you wonder what to say. How do I help them? And you really struggle with how do I encourage. So the reason I share that with you this morning is so that you could understand with me, and I believe empathize a little bit, with Peter as he's closing out this book. Remember, Peter is writing to a group of individuals that were under intense persecution. This is a group of people that were suffering, of people that were facing things that you and I have probably never suffered or may, may never, I pray, may never experience In our life here today, these are people that lived in a time, of course, he's writing from Rome, and he himself would have been living kind of a low key life so that no one really recognized what he was doing. He was in Rome writing, but he's writing to people that were scattered, strangers and pilgrims, as the title of our series is. These are people that were under persecution, that were being attacked. And of course, at this time, we know when he wrote this around AD 63, I mean, we are right on the cusp of Nero's intense persecution towards believers, blaming them for some things that even he did. He lived in a time where there was a great anti-Christian sentiment. It had spread through the Roman Empire, and with the, really with the encouragement of the government, it really began to spread near and far in all of those occupied territories. And so he's writing here to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles, a people that some of them, as we know, had even been at the day of Pentecost. And he's also writing to others that were saved as a result of Paul's ministry and other churches that were being planted. And so he's writing to a group of people that were spread out. They are away from their home. They were alone. They were in a a difficult circumstance. They were uh, being persecuted. And Peter is writing to them and he's trying to give them some encouragement. He's trying to help them. Now, if you put yourself in his shoes, I don't know what that would be like. Literally writing a letter to someone who may give up their life for the faith, what do you say to them? What do you say to them? How how do you bring comfort to their life? How do you encourage them? See, that's really what the whole book of 1 Peter has been about: is him writing to people in persecution, these strangers and pilgrims. And the great thing about it is that it relates so much to where we are today. Because we, of course, we know are, are not citizens of this world. Yes, we live here. Yes, we're thankful and blessed to come from many different countries and different places. But ultimately, if you're saved today, your citizenship is in heaven. And so the time that you have here on this earth, it is just a short time. And you truly are living here as a stranger and a pilgrim. This is not your final home. And so with that, we know that we are not with God uh, at this point. And so because we're not in heaven right now, we're in a time of difficulty. We're in a broken and a fallen world. And there's challenges all around us. We're living in an ever-increasingly toxic society towards people of faith such as ourselves. And you're going to find that, especially those of you that are new in the faith, as you are new and you're growing in your walk with God, that the longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to notice the changes in culture, the changes in popular opinion towards those without Christ or those with Christ. And so we must be determined then to hold fast. As nicely shared, we need to determine to hold on to what God has given to us to remain faithful to what he has called us to do. And so Peter is writing to these believers and he wants to encourage them. He says, I want you to stay faithful. I want you to continue on. I want you to move on and and continue being faithful to God even though you're in a lot of different trials. And he's trying to give them hope and strength in the seasons of suffering. And in his final words today as we finish in verse uh, uh, 10 and 11, we'll go down through the end of the chapter. What we're gonna see this morning is that even in his final words, this is what is so great about Peter. Even in his final words, he's still encouraging them. To hold fast. He's still encouraging them to continue on. And I love that about Peter, how he just constantly is trying to encourage those. And today, that's what I believe it's going to be for you. And I I know it's been for me already, an encouragement, a message of encouragement to remain faithful, even in great seasons of suffering. Now, last week, we talked about spiritual warfare. Remember that? He spent a, a whole verse, he just talked about spiritual warfare and the battles that we're going to face. Well, right on the heels of that, we come now to verse number 10. And 11. I'm going to read this for you here. He says, But the God of all grace. So, the context, he's writing, continuing the thought, you're in a spiritual warfare, you're in a difficult time, you're in a time of suffering, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, you have suffered a while, make you perfect, or perfect you, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter here is closing this letter for us, and what he does is he reminds these struggling believers that because of Christ, and I want you to understand that, because of Christ, there truly is hope in suffering. There is hope even in the middle of intense and difficult trials. And he begins here by reminding us that we have the God of all grace. Did you get that there at the very beginning of verse number 10? He says, But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory... By Christ Jesus, the amazing thing to me that uh, Peter does here is that he points to these suffering people, these people going through great trials, and he points to us today who are also suffering and also going through trials. He says, "Listen, you need to remember that you serve and you love and you have the God of all grace." And what he means by that is by what grace is defined as, which grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is God's favor upon your life. If you're saved today, you have the grace of God for your salvation. And that is his favor on your life. If you're alive today, you have the grace of God within you. And the fact that you're just alive, <laughs> the fact that you're here, the fact that uh, you are, are, are able to go about in this life and live in this world and provide for yourself, all of these things that we have are the grace of God. And Peter here, he reminds these people that are literally facing the end of, your life, of their lives. He says, listen, you have a God of grace, of all grace, notice there. And so he's saying to us that, listen, you're saved by his grace. You're held by his grace. You're sustained by his grace all throughout the circumstances of life. And Peter is trying to remind us that God's grace is there for every need, regardless of what it is that you are going through. And that's why he says the God of all grace. There is no other source of grace that you need in your life. You need God's grace and that alone. In other words, God has the monopoly on grace as a power for your life. His grace, of course, we know from Scripture, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but God's grace provides strength enough for every situation that you might go through. He gives us grace for living, grace for dying, grace to deal with the penalty of sin, grace to overcome the power of sin in our lives now, grace to face persecution, grace to forgive the persecutor, grace to see us through, and grace to ultimately reunite us with God in heaven. That is the grace of God and he gives it to us and he is the God of all grace as well. We know as we see in the verse that his grace guarantees us this eternal uh, hope of glory with God. And so what he's trying to say on the heels of talking about persecution is that ultimately church understand Satan is not gonna win. The adversary is not gonna win because God is over all things and he, his grace cannot fail and it is ours because as nicely talked about because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Satan cannot stop it History has proven to us that a pagan emperor could not eliminate it. We're here today because of that, and it will not end. And whatever trials and temptations you are facing right now, you can get through it because of God's grace. If you ever talk to somebody who is mature in the faith, who has been through a season of great difficulty, and we have some people in our church who have walked through some deep, deep valleys. If you would go to them and you would ask them, say, hey, what is it that got you through? They would say, ultimately, it is the grace of God. It is God's grace. It is his favor that he allowed me to walk through this. Those of you who, who I'm talking about, you know who you are, you would say, it is God's grace in my life that I'm here today. It is God's grace that I'm sitting in this lovely cushioned seat, right? <laughs> Listening to the word of God. Some of you who've never experienced those wooden pews, you don't understand the grace of God in this room, you know, in the seats right here. And, uh, and so every Sunday when you come in, you sit down and you say, God's grace is good as you sink into, anyway, okay. We could, I could preach a whole point, you know, the grace of God in the chairs. But you understand it is God's grace that we're here today. It's God's grace that this church is in existence today. It's God's grace that we're in this building today. It is God's favor upon us. And even when you're in the trials, understand that you are still serving the God of all grace. The God of all grace. And I love that. What he, that's how he starts. He says, before anything else, just recognize that when you are in, in difficulty and you have trials and there's all sorts of things coming your way, you can always turn to God and his grace. Don't turn to other things in times of difficulty. Don't turn to your own ways of coping. Don't allow your mind to go back to that place that you said, I'll never go back to that place again in your mind. But because you're in a trial and a difficulty, always turn towards God and turn towards his grace. He's given us a better way. And that better way is his grace. And that hope of heaven that comes as a result of trusting in him as your Lord and Savior. So here he says, first of all, that he is the God of all grace. So remember that. When you're in trials, when you're suffering, some of you are suffering right now, you're in difficulty, remember the God of all grace. But secondly, we see in the passage that he is also the God of all suffering. So he's the God of all grace, but he is also the God of all suffering. Look again at verse number 10. He says, The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now, this is interesting, because Peter, even in these last few verses, he comes along and he uh, reminds us of the reoccurring theme of suffering in this book, just by remembrance. And I was really tempted to like kind of preach the whole book as a re- as a reflection, you know. Just re- let's remember what we've just talked about the last twenty three messages. But I decided to save you the time today. It's on YouTube. You can go and watch it or listen to it on the podcast. Uh, but just a real, real briefly, remember suffering has been a theme all throughout the book. In chapter number one, we saw that it is for a season. There's various trials of life. There's trials for our faith. There's trials, just the normal trials of life that we live in. We live in a a difficult place. There's difficulty that comes along. There's personalities and people and challenges that come along. In chapter two, we talked about how we may suffer wrongly sometimes, that the Christian may actually be falsely accused and suffer wrongly. In chapter three, he talked about how if you are going to suffer, make sure that you suffer for righteousness' sake. Remember that? He does this whole thing about suffering, and he's like, but if you're gonna suffer, make sure it's for righteousness' sake, that you're suffering for the right things. Don't suffer, or don't complain about suffering if it's your own fault, is what he's basically saying. So if you're making all these mistakes, and you're doing wrong things, and you're sinning, and it's causing suffering in your life because of that, hey, you're kind of on your own there. Uh, you, you need to make sure you're suffering for the right things and the right reasons. And then in chapter four, he says, remember, it's not strange that we'll have fiery trials. It's not a strange thing. The point is that even though we will walk through suffering in this life, we have to remember that God is the God of that suffering. That means that God is walking with you through the difficulties. And there's two things that we remember from the book that we understand about trials. And first of all, we understand that suffering and trials is just for a time. We saw that all throughout the book as we've been studying it, that the suffering and the trials that we are in, there are limits to it that God has set. And so right now, if you're in the middle of the trial and you're like, this is never going to end for me. (laughs) I'm never going to get through this. I don't know how this is ever going to be restored. I don't know how that relationship is going to be mended. I got to tell you, listen, there's limits to that. There's limits to that. Sometimes, now just to be, let's be fully open here. Sometimes the end of it is when you meet Jesus in heaven. There are things in this life that we do carry with us. The Apostle Paul even talked about how he had a thorn in his flesh that he asked God to remove, but it stayed with him. It stayed with him. We don't know if it ever was removed from his life, even until his death. Now, we know that there are elements of suffering in this life that do stay with us. But even those will have an end one day. And so we look forward to that hope that when we, when we get to heaven where that, all of that is taken care of. We look forward to that. But in this life, recognize that there are limits to the trials and your suffering and your trials will never outweigh or overcome God's grace in your life. You have to remember that. It will never overcome his grace. So even if you're in something that's going to stay with you for a, for, for a lifetime, I want you to understand today that God's grace is still enough. And so we understand that about suffering, that it is for a time. But the other thing that we know from, the passage, uh, from this book is that God uses suffering for our good and for his glory, suffering disciplines us, trials develop us to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, this is kind of the hard part about the Christian life sometimes, is that the suffering and the trials, the difficulties that we go through, God uses to mold us into his image and ultimately to bring him glory. Ultimately to bring him glory. And this is what we see here. Peter reminds us of four different ways that God works in our lives during suffering. And I want to highlight these because I believe these are very important for us. First one is that suffering perfects us. The word here is katarzio, which I'm not a Greek scholar, as you understand, but I can read (laughs) so I can try to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. But it's a Greek word that means to arrange, to set in order, or to adjust, Now, this is different from other passages of Scripture that talk about being mature. We know that word perfect, being fully mature in the faith. This is the idea of something being set in order. It's used just 13 times in Scripture. It's actually used when it talks about, in Matthew chapter 4, of James and John mending their nets. So the idea that we have here is that while we are saved by God's grace, at the same time, our salvation does not make us perfect in this life. And I'm using the word perfect, meaning without sin. So what we're, what we understand here is that in the suffering, notice there, I'm going to go back to the verse. He says, after that, you have suffered a while. That's the idea of a limitation to it. He says, it, it makes you perfect. The literal way of saying it would be perfecting you. And it means that there is still a lot of mending that needs to be done in our torn and our tattered lives. Just like a needle and thread, the needle has to pierce through the fabric to begin to uh, fix that hole in your sock or whatever it is that you're trying to sew up. In the same way, there is a a piercing, there's a difficulty, there's a trial that in our lives is used to mend us, to put us together, to uh, help us to become more like Jesus Christ. And so our suffering is a way that God uses to make us more complete, to make us better followers of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to me that God loves us so much that he uses those circumstances to make us into a better person, into a more complete follower of Jesus Christ. You know, as a parent, this is something I understand maybe a little bit, or this is a way to understand it. Because, you know, as a parent, I want to eliminate suffering for my children. I want to eliminate trials for my children. I want to make sure that their life is just... Easy breezy lemon squeezy, right? Like I want it to be just really, really simple for them. But the thing that I've learned the longer I'm a parent, and actually I learned this pretty quick, is that I cannot eliminate difficulty from the the lives of my children. I can't. It's impossible. So then I'm faced with a question. Do I live my life running around trying to eliminate any problems and make their life as easy as possible for them to have no conflict, always get a trophy, right? You know, uh, get everything they ever wanted, do everything for them. Or can I, when trials do come into their life, either by their own making or just by the difficulties of life, can I teach them to walk through that trial and grow through that trial and come out of it stronger, able to handle that trial later on? And what I've learned is that that is important. I have to let my kids, you know, maybe your parents said it this way, well, you dug the hole, (laughs) you know, you fell in it, now you got to get yourself out of it. Others I know, uh, and there's a lot of parents today that do this, they shelter their kids from everything, everything in their life is perfect, and then the kid goes off to college and someone tells them no, and they have a meltdown, you know. (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) like I can't believe someone said that, I'm so bullied. You know, it's like, no, they just said you can't do that because this is real life. They get their job. And so we help them walk through this. And listen, that's what happens in our lives as Christians. There's these trials that come. And while we so desperately want our lives to be perfect, we so desperately think like, some of you thought this when you became a Christian, like, okay, everything's, everything's gonna be good from now on, right? I got no problems. One of the things that I say, and I've said to some of you when you became a Christian, I said, okay, just so you know, this week's gonna be tough. <laughs> there's gonna be some trials. There's gonna be some temptations. There's gonna be some difficulty that comes. And so we must recognize that God perfects us, he grows us, he develops us through these trials. To me, that's real love. As a parent, the best way I can show my children love is to teach them and to train them to be successful young adults and to walk through some trials and come out on the other side not completely destroyed. And for God, he does that for us. He says, I want you to grow, I want you to develop, I want you to become more like me. And so these trials that come, He perfects us through those trials. The other thing that he does, if you'll notice, is that he establishes us. God himself, and the definition here means to be made steadfast, firm, and solid, firmly set, immovable. What it it is, this word right here, establish, is the word that was used to describe Christ's determination to go to Jerusalem when he was going to consummate the work of redemption for our sins. You remember that? He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he says, I am going. I must needs go. This is where I have to go. In Luke, it says that he steadfastly, this is the same word, set his face towards Jerusalem. And even though Jesus knew what was awaiting him there, he was not intimidated. He was not swayed. He just continued on forward. And here's the point. For us, we can actually be so close to God. We can be so connected to him that we can survive and be immovable no matter what the attacks of temptation and suffering and difficulties that come our way. How incredible would it be if your walk with God was so strong that even in the most difficult circumstances of life, it would not shake your faith. It would not cause you to stumble. I'll tell you what, that's the kind of faith that I wanna have. I wanna have that kind of faith that no matter what comes my way, I stay strong. Sadly, many of us know people that were followers of Christ that desired to grow in their faith, but when a real difficult season came, they just sort of disappeared. They got so discouraged. They got so frustrated. They got so upset. I thought the Christian life was not going to be like this. I thought everything was going to be okay. And they just sort of walked away from it all. Listen, God is calling us, and God can, through his grace, help you to be established, to be unmovable, that when those trials come, I'm just going to remain faithful. Man, what an encouragement it is when there's somebody who walks through a deep valley and they stay faithful to the Lord. What an encouragement that is. What a challenge it is to my faith. And this is what God can do in us that no matter the difficulty, no matter the suffering, we can walk through it in God's grace. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which had loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. And here's that word again, establish you in every good word and work. There's the answer. It's in the word of God and the work of God in your life that can establish you. And so Peter here uses these words to encourage us that God is sanctifying you through the trial and he can actually make you and bring you to the point where you will be established even in difficulty and suffering is part of the process. Satan cannot change those things. Another one that he says here is that he says that God will strengthen you. And that's not an uh, in, in alternate means. That means that God will strengthen you. God himself, he is the one who will strengthen you. The definition for this word just means be filled with all strength. Who's the source of all strength? Help me out here. Who's the source of all strength? God is. And so he is the one that can give you all strength. And Peter here is encouraging us that no matter, again, the difficulties, the challenges, God is the God of enormous strength, and he will strengthen you if you will draw close to him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. See, you have a gift, and that gift is the Holy Spirit of God. And if you'll allow that Spirit of God to work within you, if you're saved today, it can strengthen you and you actually have God's strength in your life that can help you to weather the storms and the trials and the difficulties and the suffering. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking about it in a very difficult and challenging time in 2 Timothy, he put it this way. He said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. He's talking about being through a difficult time. God stood with me, notice, and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That's not a literal lion, but that's Satan himself. And so he says here, Paul is saying, listen, I was going through a difficult time. I was struggling. But God came alongside of me, and he strengthened me. And he strengthened me for a purpose, and that was to preach the gospel. And I want to tell you, listen, as a Christian today, one of the great reasons that God strengthens us and helps us to walk through the valleys and walk through the difficulties is so that we can proclaim his mighty name and give him glory. And so I want to challenge you today. Don't give up, okay? Don't give up. There are some of you that are on the edge right now of quitting in your Christian walk. And you're like, it's just been one more difficulty after another, and I'm struggling. Or maybe you're new, coming back to church, or you're just a new Christian, and you're like, man, is this even worth it? I want to tell you that God can give you the strength to get through what you're facing, and one of those great reasons is to use your story and to use your testimony as a light for him. And so you got to recognize that. You have to recognize that. And when you're going through that trial, when you're going through that suffering, say, God, would you give me strength? Would you give me strength? But you have to draw close to him. You have to crave his strength. I have to admit, uh, there's times in my life where I wake up in the morning and um, all I can think about is coffee. Anybody else like that? <laughs> I mean, my eyes open and I'm like, coffee. Andy's like that uh, a little bit. And actually, Braden this morning before worship practice, he just came walking up here, you know, like this. And, and he took a couple sips and he was all in. Then he was ready to go. <laughs> And, I, and maybe, I, maybe I'm borderline addicted. I don't know. I, you know. I try to pretend like I'm not. But some of you are like that uh, as well. And, and I wake up, and it's just all about coffee. And honestly, it's difficult for me to do anything. I can't even read my Bible with Jesus without my coffee, right? That's actually kind of sad. <laughs> but the reason that I think about coffee so much is because I believe that it's going to give me the strength to start my day. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, for, the, for my birthday, um, the church gave me as a gift a little coffee machine in my office. Right? And uh, what's it called? Now I'm totally blanking on the name of it Nespresso. Nespresso, that's right. It's good. I like it. And, and they're like, Pastor, we know you need this. I don't know. Maybe I look tired or something. But they gave it to me, and uh, I love that. And I won't tell you how many I've had already this morning. But it, it gives me some, it just gives me some strength, you know? Now, Jesus is far better than coffee, okay? He's far stronger than coffee. And his strength will get you through much more than just your morning. The point I want us to understand is that we need to crave Christ and his strength like we crave that cup of joe in the morning when we get up. We need to crave Christ, Lord, I need your strength, I, I'm not gonna, and it would be a good thing if when in the morning when we woke up and we opened our eyes that we immediately thought, God, I need your strength today. I need you in my life. I need, your, I need your help. I need your help. I want you to know that Jesus is all the strength that you need in your suffering. Jesus is all the strength that you need in your trials. Finally, he says that he will also settle you. He'll settle you, that means to ground us, to settle us on a firm foundation. I don't know if Peter had in mind the parable that Jesus had given to him and the disciples about the two builders, the one who built his house upon a rock and the one who built his house upon a sand. I don't know if, I don't know if Peter was thinking about that as he was writing this, but certainly the idea here is that God is able to make us secure through the sufferings of life. He's able to settle us. He's able to secure our nerves He's able to secure our thoughts and our anxieties and our fears and all of those uneasy emotions that you have and those unnerving um, thought processes and that anxiety that you have that disturbs us. I want you to know that God can settle that in your life. Ephesians uh, chapter three again, verse 17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded. That's actually the exact same word, grounded. It's the same as translated settled here. You can be grounded in love. So God's love and his strength can settle you and can calm you down. Some of you are really searching for answers to those overwhelming thoughts that just consume you. You're searching for answers to that anxiety that seems to just cripple you and just just overcome you. I wanna tell you that one of the best places to start is by simply turning to Christ and saying, God, would you settle me? Would you ground me, God? God. Would you And notice here in verse 17, rooted and grounded in love. Well, what is that? That's God's love. That's the best kind of love. That's the love that would leave us a word of God to understand his love. That's genuine, true love. And that's what can st- uh, settle us. That's what can lock us down. That's what, can, that's what can help us when we're struggling. See, listen, if you try to feel secure in all of your human relationships, or you try to be secure in your own wisdom or in your, your good works, you will always struggle. But if you're settled in Christ and you're settled in his grace and you're settled in his word, you can find rest. You can be settled. You can find peace in those struggles. Now these descriptive terms here that Peter gives to us, I want you to know if you were to encompass it into one thought, it describes our security in Christ. It describes our security in Christ, not only for our salvation and for our eternity, but our security in Christ right now in the suffering, in the difficulties, in the trials. And it assures us that God is working even in our time of suffering. And so for you right now, you might be going through a time of suffering. I wanna tell you, God is working. He's trying to work. The question is, is will you allow him to work in your heart? Will you, as an individual, open yourself to God and say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? You know, you've heard me say this many times. The question that we need to have when we're in struggle, uh, struggles and trials is not, why, God, <laughs> the question is what, God? What are you trying to teach me right now? God, what are you trying to build in me? Is there an element of my faith that needs to grow and to be developed? And so we need to ask ourselves that question. And I'm not just talking about like, okay, what's what up, what's up, God? You know, like, what now? No, it needs to be genuine. Like, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And it takes, it takes being reflective, by the way. It takes like actually maybe silencing some things in your life. Maybe finding a place where you can reflect and be alone, even. And in prayer, say, God, what are you trying to show me? I promise you this whenever I personally have done that in my life, God has always revealed to me what he's trying to do in my life. Full disclosure, it's not always easy. Sometimes he's saying to me, Paul, surrender. Sometimes he's saying, Paul, submit to me. Sometimes he's saying, Paul, apologize. Right? <laughs> Sometimes he's saying, you need to make things right. Maybe he's saying, stand firm. Maybe he's saying, be, be the dad you need to be. <laughs> Maybe he's saying, obey my word. It's not always easy, but I promise you, if you'll submit yourself to God in that way, he will teach you, he will show you, he will reveal himself to you. And, and man, that's so great. Because then you realize that your trial and your suffering is with purpose. There's actually something there God is doing in my life. And Peter here is encouraging us. He says, remember, there is something that is happening, God is still at work. He's still on the throne. Now, finally, we see here the God of all grace, the God of all suffering, but I want you to notice here in verse 11, we also see then the God of all glory. The God of all glory. Look at verse 11. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Say it with me, amen. And he says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. In thinking about all that God does for us, Peter here just breaks forth with praise. I don't know how else to put it. After all of these things, God is going to establish me and God's going to uh, set me up. He's going to perfect me. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to settle me. Here he says, to him be glory and dominion. That means all power, that word dominion there. All power, everything is for God and from God forever and ever. And then he says amen. What he's trying to say here is that it is God that possesses all power. He possesses the power that no person or no thing can ever defeat. And he is the great glorious God. He is our sovereign majesty of the universe and he is able to secure us and he's able to guarantee us a home in heaven. And it all comes down to here, he says to him that we proclaim all glory and dominion forever. And I love that. I don't know if Peter was like, Hand cramps. All right, I'm done. The hippie glory and dominion forever and ever, you know? But I really believe this is an outflow of his heart of praise for what God can do through trials. He's sitting there as evidence of trials. He's there remembering how God taught him when he denied the Savior. He's there remembering how God corrected him when he didn't believe that the gospel could be for the Gentiles. And God made that very clear. No, this is for the Gentiles as well. He's remembering how God has worked in his life, how he has seen countless people come to Christ, and how he's seen lives changed and transformed. And he says, to God, to him, all glory and dominion forever. Listen, when was the last time you gave glory to God for what he's doing in your life? Not complaints to God, but glory to God. God, thank you for the trials. Thank you, God, for the difficulties. It's so funny in our lives. We go through a trial, and God brings us through, and then we're like, oh, on to the next trial. And we don't look back and remember how God has already brought us through. Some of you are here today because God brought you through great difficulty, great challenges, and you're here today because of that. Do you ever give him praise for that? Do you ever give him glory? Or are you always just focused on the here and now? Oh, well, now I got another problem, I got another problem, I got another problem. He says, to God be praise and power and glory. That's a reminder of how powerful God is. I believe a mark of a growing follower of Jesus Christ is when you can proclaim the great work of God in your life through the trials and difficulties that you face. And Peter here gives us a great example. Well, let's finish up the, the chapter, verse 12. By a Silas, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this, he reminds us again, that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected uh, together with you, saluted saluted you. And so did Marcus, my son, uh, greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Somebody's having a good time over there. That's good. He wraps up his letter here, and he wraps it up with the theme of God's true grace. And he reminds us that the grace of God was enough to sustain him in Rome It's enough to strengthen those strangers and pilgrims in whatever situation they found themselves in. And today, the big lesson for us is that God's grace is enough to sustain and strengthen you. Let's never forget that. The point of this book to these people that are struggling, those people that are in trials, is that God's grace is enough. We are citizens of heaven. This world is not our home. But while we are here, God desires that we shine as lights in this dark world. And what he's trying to get across to us is that how we walk through trials, how we face persecution, how we face difficulty is one of the greatest ways that we can bring glory to God. Remember, that's what it's all about. Church, your life is about bringing glory to God so that one day when we are reunited with him, we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God's grace is enough for you. We hope that today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.